Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. Just a quick message before we get started today with the episode. I just wanted to let everyone know that Ilana and I are now on Patreon, where we have four tiers, including a free tier. And we also have a $1 tier known as the acquaintance tier. And with that, you get quite a few access to different things, as well as a glimpse at two upcoming episodes. Then we have our $3 tier, which is Friends, where you get pretty much all the same benefits as the $1 tier, but at the same time, you also get access to seeing the next six episodes that we will be having coming out soon. And then... We also have our $5 tier, which is besties, of course. And with that, you have all the same benefits as before, but you will also get a shout out not only on Patreon, but right here on our podcast. And we will list a bunch of names if a bunch of people, you know, join the besties tier. And you also get access to seeing what our next 10 cases are going to be. Um, I'm super excited because you guys will also, if you're in the besties tier, you will also get to see and hear some of our different sub-series that we're going to think of doing on the channel. I call it a channel, but it's actually a podcast. You you know what I'm trying to say. But we appreciate your support. Even if you can't be in any of the tiers except the free one, we truly appreciate just people listening to our podcast and enjoying true crime and hearing some of these stories that we have found. So, with that being said, let's get on. Hello, fellow crime fanatics. This is McKenna. And this is Ilana. And yes, if you haven't noticed, we all did get some new mics. And we are definitely excited because we know that our audio for the last episode was absolutely atrocious. (laughs) And I apologize for that. But this episode, Ilana is diving into her favorite true crime case. And Ilana, what is that true we crime case? We are going to be talking about John Bonet Ramsey. Ooh, okay. I know a little bit about this, but not a lot, so I'm ready to be edumacated. All right, so I'm just going to explain who she was. First, I'm going to start okay. with when she was born and when she died, so that way you kind of get an idea of to how old she was and why this is like truly upsetting. So she was born August 6th of 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia, and she died December 26th of 1996 in Boulder, Colorado, making her six years old. 
So she was only six when she died. She was only six, unfortunately. Whoa. Um, so I'm just going to discuss how awesome she was to begin with because I feel like we all need to get to know her a little bit. John Bonet was yes. said to be outgoing and loved to be the center of attention. She won multiple pageant titles by the age of six, hence why she is also called a beauty queen. Um, somewhere I read that it was five trophies. I'm not 100% sure if it was just five or more. Um, fun fact, I also discovered her mother was a former beauty queen herself. She was Miss West Virginia of 1977. Which is interesting because I don't know how her mother would have felt about pageanting, but honestly, if my mother forced me into pageanting, I wouldn't have been happy. Me neither. I probably would have thrown a tantrum or two myself. <laughs> Right. Which John Bonet probably did because I have read somewhere that she frequently re- would wet the bed, um, that she did have tantrums and things like that. So I'm wondering if maybe some of that had to correlate with the fact that she was being exploited as a beauty pageant queen. Mm-hmm. But see, and I don't know. Bedwetting is usually normal for kids, but it- not at age six. Not frequent. Yeah. Not frequently. Not unless so something else is happening, sense. which I'm hinting at. Something else will be told later. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to discuss what happened on the case. So December 26th of 1996, her parents woke up super early to prepare for a trip to Michigan to meet with her half-brother, John Andrew Ramsey. So for those who do not know, I guess so, yeah. I didn't read a lot about him, but I did find an article where he did talk about how... That day went down for him. I guess he was at the airport on his way to head to Michigan to meet with them when he got the call that his sister was missing. Wow. Okay. He threw, he says that he like was screaming, kicking everything to try and get on another flight to Denver so he could find, come help and find his sister basically. Which makes sense because if, makes somebody, tons of in sense. My, if somebody in my family was missing and I was on a flight to a different state, I would I'd probably punch people in the face trying to find a ticket to get there myself. <laughs> only you I'd be would fighting resort some to people. <laughs> yeah, only you would resort to violence. I swear, that's my I go-to would... thing. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing for everybody, especially if someone in their family is missing. Exactly. I guess that makes sense. So, um, Patsy discovered a ransom note on the back staircase saying in order to see John Bonet alive, they had to give these people $118,000 which I'm going to get into later but keep in mind how much money that is because it's very important for later $118,000 is very very specific specific. yeah despite what the letter read Patsy called the police at 5.52am and reported her daughter as missing the police arrived at 5.55am and found That they had no forced signs of entry, but they didn't do a hard enough search because John Bonet was in the house. She was in the basement. Now, we were were discussing this earlier, and we'll we'll get into it when it gets to the end, but I think that's a little suspicious given some of the other circumstances. Yeah, and why didn't the police look in the basement? That is one floor of the house that they totally could have went and looked at. Yeah. Like, a little kid probably would have ran down there to hide. Or if they did look, maybe she wasn't there. And I'm maybe the sure. body was moved there afterwards. Could have been. While the police were conducting all of their information, friends Patsy had called to come help 
may have disturbed some of the evidence in the house because they were also moving things around and looking Typical. for the six-year-old as well. Right. <laughs> Especially since know, only her room was cut off. So they had free range to the entire house. Because, you know, when your daughter is missing, you call your family friends and your family, you're like your friends and be like, and hey, ask them to come help. <laughs> come show up to the house. My child's missing. Like, Right. We're throwing a missing party for her. And like, we're looking for her. Please come. We've got <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the police would also inform her parents of any pieces of the puzzle, which helped delay their interviews because they weren't interviewed until much later in this case. Which I think to relate this back to the Black Dahlia case, it kind of reminds me about how much the police kind of fumbled over that investigation, too. And I think that's going to be a common theme as we go on. In a lot of the cases, for sure. Yeah. Um, at 1 p.m., Leet White and John Ramsey were told by the police to walk around the home to see if there was anything that they could find or anything out of the ordinary. The first place they went to was the basement, where they found her in the wine cellar slash storage room. Mr. Ramsey so, immediately picked her up and brought her to the living room, and it is said that he ripped a duct tape off of her mouth. Who is this friend you mentioned? Because you didn't mention him before. So Fleet White is a family friend of the Ramseys, and he actually had thrown a Christmas party the night before, which is where the Ramsey family went before, I guess, or the night of her murder, because I don't know, she could have been killed in the nighttime, too. But um, Yeah. That's yeah. a little weird, given the circumstances. I, like, how did, he, how did he and John find her? And why didn't the police do it? Exactly. So apparently it is said that Fleet White actually went into that room earlier in the day and did not see her. It's also said that he didn't turn any of the lights on. All he did was open the door and yell her name and then left. He told the police when they found John Benet that um, basically he had went in there earlier and that she wasn't in the room. But if you didn't turn the lights on, how do you know she wasn't in the room? Yeah, like just literally sticking your head in and yelling, Sean Benet! Like, if this child was truly, you know, like, had duct tape on her mouth, there was no way she could respond to it. Exactly. All you could hear is her muffled, like, moans and groans, if anything. Yeah. But, um, I think she was already dead by then, so there's a good chance that he just didn't hear her because she was hmm. gone. Which is very depressing, but, like, you would think that you would look everywhere. So, the autopsy showed that she died from asphyxiation by strangulation, in addition to a skull fracture. How um, bad the way was she the skull was fracture? Pretty bad. I actually looked at all the crime scene photos myself, and the skull fracture was included in those, and it's very disturbing. So, if anyone is younger than the age of 13 and is unable to stomach things like that, I do not suggest looking it up. Yeah. I saw the pictures. It, it looks pretty awful. It looked like her head was basically just smashed in half. Yeah, that's best way to describe it. Especially for a six-year-old. My God. Yeah, for sure. Especially a six-year-old. She was only six. It says that um, it's been said that she actually was alive during the strangulation. So if the skull fracture happened before that, imagine the pain that she was probably in. Oh my God, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Um, it is said that she was found with wrist, well, with her wrist and her neck wrapped with a white cord. Her mouth was covered with duct tape and her torso was covered in a white blanket. 
Um, so the autopsy, usually, yeah. When people get covered with blankets or there's something, you know, on them to, you know, hide that there's a body there or something. Right. It usually means that that person is remorseful. Usually, which kind of leads me to suspect that someone close to her, someone that she knew, is who did it. Yeah, I agree with that. Because another thing is if it were an intruder, which I'm going to get to in a little bit, if it were an intruder, it would make sense as to why there was not a lot of screaming or any noise being made from the six-year-old. Right, because she could have been moved to a secondary location. Yeah, while talking back. to that person. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you were planning all along to go in and kidnap a little girl and then murder her, why would you leave a ransom note? Exactly. And I'm also going to get into that, too, because I'm going to read the ransom note. It is roughly three pages long, which oh, makes Lord. me believe that it was probably faked. Yeah. Because who writes a long sense. letter saying, I'm kidnapping your daughter? Especially given the evidence that's also come out about, you know, how right. it was With written, her being where in it the was house. written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little suspicious. Um, The autopsy also stated that she seemed to have been wiped clean down there. Um, so it was, oh. it was also very clear that she had sexual assault of some kind, but she was wiped clean. There was no semen, there was no DNA or any kind down there. Um, the coroner also found pineapple in her stomach, which according to her parents, they don't remember giving her any pineapple the night before, but there was a bowl in the kitchen of pineapple with milk. So huh. apparently Burke's fingerprints are all over the bowl and on the tea cup because i guess there was a cup of tea out as well um and not only was burke's fingerprints on those so was patsy's so you're telling me that the parents claim that they never gave jean benet pineapple but it was found in her stomach and it was in the kitchen and patsy's fingerprints were on it yep patsy's fingerprints and burke's Maybe she got the bowl down for Burke, thinking that he was going to eat it. And so that's why Patsy's fingerprints were on it. Or she woke up and came down the stairs. I'm going to talk about what happened the night before. But okay. the story changed, like, a, a lot um, within the year of it being told the first time, which makes it very suspicious. But maybe she was asleep and came downstairs from being in her room and came downstairs and had some pineapple with her brother. That's what I'm going to assume. But that just doesn't explain why her fingerprints and there was no, like, signs of her being in the kitchen. Yeah, I was going to say, there's literally no other signs of her. Like, besides the pineapple in her stomach, Mm -hmm. there's no other sign for her being in that kitchen. But then again, there were friends that were brought to the crime scene. So there's a chance that there was evidence at some point, but it got destroyed. That is true. Very sad, honestly. So... There was also a makeshift garret that was used to basically do the strangling. It looks like it was created with a length of the cord and part of a paintbrush that was actually Patsy's paintbrush. Patsy had a whole like container of paintbrushes and part of one of her paintbrushes was used in this makeshift garret. So that that brings me back to what I mentioned a few minutes ago. If you were planning on, you know, kidnapping a child and murdering them, why would you then use stuff from inside the house? Exactly. To murder them. 
It's super strange. So I am going to say this. The Ramseys were the main focus in the public eye, even though they weren't labeled as suspects. And I think that's just because they were the only ones in the house when John Bonet went missing. Right. And if they truly claimed to have searched the entire house, which I don't think they did. Maybe they did. Maybe the body I don't was think they did afterwards. because I think she was in the house the whole time. I don't think she was ever moved out of the house. I, I kind of agree with that. So the intruder theory I'm going to get to in just a moment, but I'm going to start with the note. So the police felt that the note was staged because it was super long and it was also written using a pen and a paper from the house. And it demanded the exact amount of money John made in a bonus that year. I told you I thought that number was weird and it is because... It is super weird. Hmm. It's very specific. So this is what the note reads. And if I stutter, I am so sorry. This handwriting looks god awful. I remember looking at it in Mr. Thiel's classroom um, Mr. Thiel was my high school teacher for my forensics class. And I remember looking at this note and just thinking, God, they were trying super hard to make this look like it was written by someone else. Yeah, I've seen pictures of the note. It does look like it was like somebody was trying to make it look not Messy. like their handwriting. Right. But in forensics, you can do that and your handwriting will still be your handwriting no matter how you make it look. <laughs> but anyway... So the note reads, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. 100000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate sized stash. I don't know what that says. To the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on the delivery. The, the delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be well rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also Jesus. be Yeah. Very harsh. <laughs> you will also be denied of her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation such as the police, FBI, etc will result in your daughter being beheaded. I'm sorry. Who would if behead they, a six-year-old? Yeah, why? Like, I'm it's sorry. Just, I'm just going to be hung up on the beheading part because, yeah. number one, that's awful. Number two, what? Exactly. And number three, the part that doesn't make any sense to me is they would have known that, okay, I let me rephrase that. Why did, if Patsy truly read this ransom note before calling the police, why did she Why do would you exactly, call the police why would knowing she that your daughter police? could be beheaded? Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. I don't know. It was just very fishy. But anyway, I'm going to continue. <laughs> if we watch, or if we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. 
You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under... here being a mathematician. Right? (laughs) (laughs) You and your family are under constant security, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use the good, that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. So I just got to go back to the fat cat insults because if you kidnap somebody's daughter, why would you call him a fat cat? Exactly. Um, I don't know. That's just. Or if it was just like. Oh, we know you're lazy. Like you're like a cat. Like I don't know if it was supposed to exactly. Be a I think fat cat was more a metaphor for him being super rich because he was a, basically a millionaire. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of it that way. Um, let's see. So apparently, the Ramseys wouldn't cooperate at first because they claimed that they feared co- the cops would not conduct a full investigation and would target them as early suspects or easy suspects. Um. But they did eventually submit handwriting samples that were compared to the ransom letter, which I also got to do in my forensic class. So that was pretty cool. John and Burke were cleared, but Patsy's sample was inconclusive and the analysis wasn't supported by any other evidence. So that's weird to me that it came up inconclusive. Inconclusive. So it basically means that she possibly wrote this note. I'm not going to point my fingers at her, so please no one come and sue me, but um, it's a good yeah. possibility that she wrote the note. <laughs> yeah, please don't sue us. We, we're we just, you know, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds that are living our lives and reporting on interesting We're current. just reading stuff, facts from the internet. <laughs> um, that may or may not be true. Exactly. <laughs> so there is more evidence, clearly, but I'm going to talk about a little bit of the timeline. So, in 1999, a Colorado grand jury voted to indict the Ramseys on child endangerment and obstruction of murder investigation. But the prosecutor felt that the evidence didn't meet that standard and declined to prosecute. So, they're talking about when the, the Ramseys invited their friends over, too, right? That and when Mr. Ramsey picked up his daughter from the crime oh, scene and brought her up to the living room. Instead of leaving her down there for them to go and adequately... You yeah, know, dust and, and all that. it could have just been uh, the heat of the moment where he just immediately was like, oh, my God, that's my kid and like picked her up and brought her upstairs in a rush. I'm mm-hmm. thinking that could have been something that had something to do with it. Or maybe John himself had something to do with her murder. Very, it, it he very wanted well could to have mess been that, too. Um, so there is a theory that there was an intruder. And there are several reasons for that. There was a boot print found beside the body, which did not match anyone in the family. There were two sets of separate footprints or footsteps. Um, there was also a broken window in the basement, which can be belie- can be believed as a point of entry. However, I am going to say this, that broken window was stated that it was already broken before and they never got it fixed. Okay, so my thing so is there were two sets be- of footprints. Knowing that, you know, the Ramseys invited their friends over, couldn't right. they have assumed that those were left by those friends? Yeah, those yep. friends and Mr. Ramsey. 
And even when they that went down footprint. and found her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that broken window being a point of entry, I guess I could see it being a point of entry if it were already broken. If it was broken that night, how did no one hear it? Like, I hear everything in yeah. the, the old house that I grew up in where there, we had, like, two floors and a basement. I heard everything, every little creak from every spot in the yeah. house I heard, including when it was carpeted because we used to have carpet. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I know you mentioned to me outside the podcast that the floor was carpeted and I live yes, in a carpeted house. I was going to mention that. You can hear people still walking across the carpet. That's I can one hear when my the... cat gets the zoomies. Same. <laughs> that is actually one of the pieces of evidence that supports the intruder theory. The house being heavily carpeted. People think that the carpet helped with the footsteps. And I guess that would be the case if clearly it those was people someone never that she lived knew in a and house she didn't with... scream. Clearly somebody... These people have never lived in a carpeted house. Exactly. Because you can hear things still. You can hear everything. Like, my cat thinks he's slick as he's doing the zoomies after he poops. <laughs> like, <laughs> trust me. That seems like it is not quiet. something Tuba would do. <laughs> and yeah, Tuba is the kind of person or the kind of cat. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That goes to, uses the litter box and then books it. <laughs> and he's just running all over the house. It's like, that's not and, my shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear him snorting as he's going. And I'm like, dude, oh, if you're trying to be quiet, it is not working. <laughs> um, Some other evidence that supports the intruder case. Um, There were drops of blood from an unknown male in her underwear, which was in- included in the autopsy. They did find all of that stuff. Hmm. So that was also interesting. Um, in 2006, I'm going to talk about our first official, like, very famous suspect. In 2006, John Carr was arrested for confessing that he killed her accidentally after drugging and sexually abusing her. He was Listen, dismissed. I don't like this Carr guy. I have heard so many things about him, and it just makes He's me want to punch him in the throat. <laughs> He's disgusting because just what the hell? <laughs> yeah like why there's, claim to be a murderer if you're not there's some other things that i'm gonna tell you about him that's just gonna make you feel even more creeped out by this guy okay let's so first i'm just gonna say he was dismissed as a suspect when they revealed no drugs were in her system and it couldn't be confirmed that he was in boulder at the time and his dna did not match the profile of the dna found in her underwear so Carr was arrested in Thailand, where he had been living on the lam after facing child pornography charges in the United States. Oh, my God. He brought himself into the mess initially by reaching out to a University of Colorado in Boulder, a professor named Michael Tracy, over email in regards to the documentary Tracy was making on the case. My question is, if you had gotten away with it, why would you contact the police? Exactly. Or, or the univer- this university gentleman 
and report like, hey, you know, and I know that in some of the emails, like he used Patsy's nickname and all this other stuff that nobody but a family friend would know. Yep. In those emails, um, he actually revealed he had a sexual fascination with John Bonet. That literally makes me sick to my stomach. Same. So Tracy reported Carr to the police who arrested him as a possible suspect. Um, Carr's demented confession involved a series of diary entries that was allegedly written from the scene of the crime. In one dramatic account, Carr recalls strangling John Bonet in a love game gone wrong. Okay, first off, why are you writing journals in a murder scene? Second exactly. off, what kind of strangling love game are you playing with a six-year-old? A six-year-old, exactly. Like, that's just, that is horrific that's and all disgusting. all sorts of messed up. So, in the expert, some of it, it reads, close your eyes, or close your pretty eyes, sweetheart. He also referred to himself as Daxus. Daxus loves you so much. Oh God, I love you, John Bonet. And my lover's eyes are slowly closing. That's just, that's awful. I literally have nothing to say to that. Like that's, that's like where I'm at at this point. Exactly. Um, He was just written off as a pedophile who was just after 15 minutes of fame. And Which you clearly got. Yep, he got he got that pretty good much because we're still talking about him to this day. So yeah, clearly. <laughs> like um, officials, car, you wanted you you wanted your fifteen minutes of fame, and now oh, you got how, it. How about your quite a few years of fame, you pedophile? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> According to a 2010 report, um, written by the Daily Beast. Oh my god, um, does Mr. Beast run that? Dude, sorry. You know what? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> sorry to everyone out there. Um, that was a really bad joke, and I apologize <laughs> in advance for that. That'll probably get cut out. But if it is still here in this episode, y'all know why. <laughs> um, according to the Daily Beast, that one-time suspect is now living a new identity and a new gender in the Pacific Northwest. Like, good for car to be given a new identity and a new gender but also like you're a pedophile my guy like that doesn't change no matter what gender you are you are still a pedophile you freaking nasty son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) let's just hope they're not listening to this and being like oh my could still consider a ram like am i still considered in the jambonet case oh this So, not only was there DNA, I'm just going to try and continue, even though we're just dead. <laughs> um, so, even though there was the DNA in her underwear, there was also what they called touch DNA on her long johns. And what is touch DNA? So, touch DNA is actually DNA left by skin cells or even by, like, your airborne droplets from, like, saliva, like a sneeze, if you will. Okay, so, like, clothes. a... Like, hypothetically speaking, if I were to sneeze on you and you were dead, I could be considered a suspect. You would probably be a suspect because of touch DNA. (laughs) Okay. That was just like a hypothetical. I wanted to make sure I understood it. (laughs) So that's what touch DNA is. Um, In 2003, the profile from her underwear was actually entered into the CODIS database, which for those who don't know, that's a national DNA database, but no matches were retrieved from that. So, and this brings me back to 
the gentleman that found JonBenet Ramsey with her father. Why didn't they think to test everyone who had been in the house? Because if I do not know, I really wish that they did. If you truly were convinced that the family had something to do with it, then you needed to look at the friends as well. And mm-hmm. at that point, why didn't you take DNA from everyone? Including the people that she visited the night before her supposed right. murder. Right. Because personally, I think she was already being sexually abused because of her being a beauty queen. Mm-hmm. Which is very sad to think about. But I really think that that's something that was already happening. Right. And it is sad to think about. Um, so that touch DNA was actually retrieved in 2006 under District Attorney Mary Lacey, who took over the case and agreed to the intruder theory because she thought it was plausible. Um, let's see here. In 2008, Lacey re- released a statement that exonerated the three Ramses as suspects. But, and I have to bring but this up because... they weren't ever publicly suspects. told that they were suspects. Yeah, and then not to mention, because I remember this vividly when Burke, after like so many years, and I want to say it was like in 2015, and I want to say like he sat down with Dr. Phil or somebody, and the entire interview, he was smiling and like laughing, and I'm sorry, but your little sister is dead. Like, somebody murdered her in cold blood, and you're sitting here- exactly. With a smile on your face as you're talking about it. so I could never that, smile about something that horrific and traumatic. Exactly. Like, I mean, I get if you're, like, smiling at the memories. But for a whole 60-minute interview, you know, you're trying to make the situation not as bad as it seems. When your family was the only people in the house. Exactly. Like, I wouldn't have been smiling that entire 60 minutes. Yeah. So I am going to quote her. So the statement that she released, quote, the Boulder District Attorney's Office does not consider any member of the Ramsey family, including John, Patsy, or Burke Ramsey, as suspects in this case. We make this announcement now because we have recently obtained this new scientific evidence that adds significantly to the exculpatory value of the previous scientific evidence. We do so with full appreciation for the other evidence in this case. Local, national, and even international publicity has focused on the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Many members of the public came to believe that one or more of the Ramseys, including her mother or father, or even her little brother, were re- responsible for the brutal homicide. Those suspicions were not based on evidence that has been tested in court. Rather, they were based on evidence reported by the media. End quote. So this is kind of like the Black Dahlia again, where the media blew things out of proportion. Exactly. They they made Elizabeth being in L.A. as, you know, like she was a sex worker. And she wasn't. She literally was out there trying to achieve every person's, okay, maybe not every person's, but almost every person's. Like a big dream. You know, like a big dream of being an actor or an actress. So this just the shows the dream. media kind of takes things and just rolls with it. Exactly. To get them, you know, get their magazines bought off the shelf or that's basically to what get it was. Subscriptions to their news articles and what it still is. It's still like that to this day. Yeah, exactly. You can never really know what's true and what's not. Mm-hmm. 
In 2010, the case was reopened to focus on the DNA samples. It's now believed that the samples are from two suspects and not just one, which kind of helps with the two sets of footprints that they found. In yeah, 2016, right. And then in 2016, it was announced that DNA could be sent to, or that the DNA was going to be sent to the Colorado Bureau, uh, Borough. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so tongue tied today. I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it was announced that the DNA would be sent to Colorado Borough of Investigation to be tested using more modern methods to develop a stronger DNA profile. And many people probably have heard recently, like last month, that they are going to be doing some more testing with what little DNA they do have left over um, because they are reopening the case, even though it's technically already open because it's unsolved. And this will be brought up in the Jack the Ripper case when I get into, you know, all about some of the newer evidence. But getting DNA and storing DNA for long periods of time is very, very tedious and very difficult. Exactly, because over time, that DNA can change. Mm-hmm. Um, later in 2016, CBS actually aired the case of John Bonet Ramsey, which, again, like we have stated about the media, it implied that her brother killed her, even though he was cleared by DNA. Okay. It kind of, like, I think I watched that documentary myself, and it kind of made sense that her brother would have been the killer. But now, looking back at all this evidence, I don't really see the brother doing anything. I don't either, minus the, like, little dots on her neck, you know, right. in the crime scene photos. Because a lot of people speculated that that was from Burke's train set. Which I think was downstairs in the basement. or Yeah, it actually it was. was in the basement. There's a whole train room. I was looking at the floor plan. There's a whole train room down there in that basement. So I get why people think it was from that. Because like the little it dots. It could have been from a previous like encounter with her brother as well. That's true. Have I, fights all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I have an older brother. And, you know, when we were younger, we fought about some of the dumbest things. Honestly, agreed. I have so many siblings and that's just. Something we did naturally. <laughs> yeah. It's naturally in human nature to fight with your siblings. Um, so Burke did file a lawsuit for defamation of about $750 million against oh, CBS. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of sounds like the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp defamation case. Right. All, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, just that's what it makes You know, sense. we should definitely do a whole thing on that entire court case yes because i love johnny depp <laughs> same we we should totally do one just because we love him <laughs> yes um hey hey johnny depp if you're listening um please send me sign stuff um i will treasure <laughs> it for the rest of my life and i love you as captain jack sparrow you're awesome my guy hell yeah i just, said that just just a random shout out to him not Can like he's you listening imagine if he actually were listening and sent us both right. t-shirts that he had signed Right, I, mean, I, I don't would know how, die. I, I don't know how he would get our address, but I mean, he could you know, email us with our email that we're gonna have. Uh, oh my god! Oh, by the way, we do have an email. It is murder mysteries besties pod at gmail dot com. Send your suggestions there, my guys. Yeah. Um. Also, I apologize for getting really close to the mic. I just wanted. Um. <laughs> I just I I wanted. Do you just Depp really love here. Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I 
I'm, I'm like, I'm like extremely passionate about Johnny Depp. Like, I follow that whole defamation case. But anyway, back to the case at hand. Yes. So the defamation lawsuit, it wasn't actually publicized as far as the statement, like the end statement goes. But his lawyer did come out and state that all parties were satisfied. So I'm guessing some kind of money was probably given to him, but most likely not the exact amount he was wanting. Hey, I mean, if I sued for a lot of money and I even just got like a quarter of a million dollars, I'd be pretty happy. Right. Same here. That's why I'm thinking that that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go over some more of the evidence and let's see. So I did talk about the drop of panties or drop of blood in her panties. <laughs> Listen, Elena, I don't think you, I, 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 I don't think her panties were dropped. They might have been a couple times. But oh, not, 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 not during like this information. But yes, there were drops of blood on her underwear. Let, let's let's start right. from there. So her <laughs> panties that that they found the DNA on um, was actually two sizes bigger than what she normally wore. I did not mention that before when we were talking outside of this podcast. So apparently, the size that was found on her was size 12 to 14 when she normally wore a 4 to 6, which makes sense for her being 6 years old. That's, like, such a... I don't even know, like... (sighs) So it kind of makes sense as far as intruder goes because maybe they just brought that extra pair and, like, changed her clothes. But I'm actually going to get to that. Um, Her clothes were supposedly changed by Patsy, which I'm going to talk about her side of the story and their side of the story of the night before in a moment but yeah just to sum up the evidence her panties were the wrong size Mm. that's really interesting right um the touch dna on her long johns um was not only dna from an unsuspected person that they couldn't like confirm unfortunately because they just they still cannot find anyone with that freaking dna which makes no sense to me (laughs) but um me neither yeah, because, like, I feel like the FBI has everyone's DNA on hand, so why can't you match it to someone's well, DNA? Well, I mean, that is true. I, I think the FBI has everyone on file. To an like, extent, probably. To an yeah. extent. Like, if you don't have to get fingerprinted for your job, you're... There's I not unfortunately do. I, I had, too. I've been yeah. fingerprinted for two jobs. Same. Not in that way, though. I'm a good noodle, I swear. <laughs> I am too. I just I, I work at a daycare with children. I have my CNA license and it was required by the state of which I am in to get fingerprinted before working. Uh, exactly. Um. So yeah, that touch DNA not only had DNA of another suspect, but also had Patsy's DNA on it. So that kind of confirms Patsy changing her clothes for her. Um. Again. Just going to repeat some of this evidence. There was cords, part of a paintbrush, duct tape. There was a white blanket involved. And the ransom note. There was also, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but there was some rope that was found outside of John Bonet's bedroom. They did not do any type of DNA analysis on this rope, and it was not tested at all to this day. And they, the Ramses themselves the- said that, that they didn't own this type of rope. Yep. So that kind of supports the intruder theory, or one of their friends brought it and dropped it. Exactly. So there was also the bowl of freshly cut pineapple that 
And they said it was fresh, at least the coroner did, which makes sense because it stayed in her stomach for so long. Usually canned See, stuff, it, it digests pretty quickly. Now I want to bring this up because usually in the digestive tract, it takes like four or five to six hours for it to fully digest. So mm-hmm. the fact that this was like a whole pineapple, you know, still sitting in her stomach. Meant she I had to have she, eaten it hours prior to being killed. I think that she was murdered before she was even moved from the house. Yep. And that's like, I, I don't, I guess I'm still confused by why the, like, why the, if there were, if the intruder theory is true, why did they write a ransom note? If it was an intruder, I wonder if they actually initially came in to rob and maybe she got up from bed and came downstairs and was eating pineapple and got caught in the kitchen and was brought to the basement from there that's if it true. was really an in- intruder but i don't know 100 percent. i have some suspicions that i'll tell at the end <laughs> um oh. some more evidence there was a flashlight in the kitchen beside the freshly bowl of pineapple um this flashlight i think if i remember correctly had fingerprints from burke on it as well as so, patsy as well as patsy so did the cup of tea and the bowl. They had their fingerprints on that as well. There were markings under her left ear indicating some kind of head trauma. Um, if anyone's seen those crime scene pictures, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Her bed looked like a mess in the crime scene photos. I just want to throw that out there. I think that maybe she had some kind of accident, like a pee her bed accident, which makes sense because she had frequent issues with that from what i've read (laughs) and like my thing is is what if you know she woke up from like a night terror or just woke up in general and had wet the bed and she was crying and burke woke up and heard her and he helped change her you know he helped well patsy's patsy's dna is on the clothes so maybe she did come in there and pick her up and take her to the bathroom to get her clean which would explain why her red turtleneck that she apparently wore at some point was bunched up on the bathroom counter which i also failed to mention but that wasn't really used as evidence and maybe burt convinced patsy to get down a bowl so uh, of pineapple because what if that was john Bonnet's favorite snack and he was just trying to make her feel better right which would explain why burke was still up yeah um Something there was also a an abrasion on her lower left neck which was what you were rec- what you were saying that little dot that could have been from the train set. Mm-hmm. Um, there was boot prints located in the basement that were that were to be found by her body. So that's all the evidence that I can think of right now. So I am going to discuss their stories, which I did mention earlier that the story did change many times, many times. But I'm only going to talk about the two, so that way you can see that it definitely changed. So that night, they told the police that they had returned home after Christmas or after a Christmas party around 10 p.m. The Christmas party that they attended was at Fleet White's house. If you remember who Fleet White is, he's the guy who helped find John Bonet. John claims he read to both children and tucked her in. Burke reported he watched her walk up the stairs in front of Patty or Patsy. So he was helping confirm John's claim. The story, however, changed in 1997, where Patsy stated that the beauty queen fell asleep in the car and that John carried her upstairs, where Patsy replaced her pants with long johns, 
and the white shirt from the party that had the star on it stayed on. John confirmed that story, contradicting the one he had told previously the year before. Why would you tell two different stories? Right, if... because now you look suspicious. Yeah. You are sus. I get, I, I get why they would be, you know, a potential suspect. Exactly. So, I've only talked about the Ramses being suspects and Mr. Carr Car. being a suspect. But there were other people that were also suspected of this crime as well. So, one of them being the town Santa. I mean... I'm sorry, I just have to say that. It's kind of cliche to think that way because most people see the town Santa as a pedophile anyway. (laughs) Yeah, come on, right, say it. No, it's not even That's kind of cliche. And this is going to spoil some of it. But it's the fact that this guy wanted his... If he were to die in the, when he was having open-heart surgery, he wanted a vial of glitter that she gave him mixed with his ashes. That is but very listen true. here, my guy. That is weird. It is so weird. So his name is Bill McReynolds. He is now deceased. Um, his, he was a friend of the Ramses who had dressed up as Santa Claus the week that John Bonet was murdered. He dressed up as Santa Claus to entertain the neighborhood children at one of Patsy's famous Christmas gatherings. So he had to have seen John Bonet the day before her disappearance. Right. So it kind of makes sense that he he's a suspect. It's rumored that he had paid a little too much attention to John Bonet so far as going to arrange a secret visit from Santa Claus on Christmas. That's creepy. He chose her as his special friend, going so far as you have stated to bring a vial of glitter gifted to him by the six-year-old into a heart surgery. Which, again, why would you do that? Where he... But I, I, I get, just, like, I, I, when I listened to BuzzFeed Unsolved's case on this, they said that they understand it because, or somewhat, because it was the only gift 